You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, which comes to us new every day. Each time we open the scriptures, Lord, you draw us towards a new truth and speak a new truth about ourselves to us. Grant us to receive all the good that you are giving this morning, which is for our benefit and for the salvation of all. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So our reading from Deuteronomy this morning... Um, is, as many things are in Scripture, two things at once. It is both a blessing from God, a promise that He will send a prophet like Moses in the fullness of time, someone whose words they know they can trust because they are coming directly from God, and it's also a warning that there are others who will come and claim that authority for themselves. A warning of potential judgment for those people, but also a call to us to be discerning. Who indeed speaks for God? Now, by the time of Jesus, this is the reason why the scribes existed. The scribes were of a particular group of of rabbis, and they were well known for their expertise. Like our own culture, Jesus' was a culture that worshipped expertise in a sense. Show me your credentials and I'll know how good you are. And don't we live in a day and age like that now, right? You don't know how to raise your own children. Trust somebody with a PhD to tell you how. You don't know how to vote. Trust someone from the chattering classes to tell you how. You don't know how to care for your own health. Trust somebody with the new study that tells you the opposite of what the study that came out six months ago said to tell you how. Now, I'm not against expertise. But with so many people claiming expertise, we need to be discerning. The scribes were like that in Jesus' day. They didn't claim any authority for themselves. They knew this passage of Deuteronomy. And so what they would do is say, someone would come to them and ask them a question, and they would say, well, I don't have an opinion, but let me tell you the opinions of several great rabbis before me. Let me tell you the case history and the consensus of the experts. Now the title that they were called by rabbi not only means teacher, it means great one. Now, if every time you came to church, someone referred to you as great one or addressed you as great one, how humble would you feel after a lifetime of that? And Jesus shows up. And it is funny that Mark tells us literally nothing about his sermon. This is the first sermon of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Mark. And we hear, we have no idea what he preached about. All we know about is that his sermon packed a punch. It woke people up. They're like, he, he, 
doesn't do all that. He doesn't quote the experts. He, he seems, this is what the answer is. This is what the interpretation is. And that power, the power of Jesus' teaching, that authority which resides in him, shows that he is, as we just sang in our gospel acclamation, God's wisdom incarnate. Did you catch that in the second line of the hymn? A word of God incarnate, a wisdom from on high. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is like a power of God that's present in the world, ordering the affairs of this world. It's in fact the exact same concept as the Gospel of John will use when it says the word of God, the logos of God. It's the ordering principle of the universe and it's present for us and around us. Which is why the church has always interpreted, just like our hymn did for us, that Jesus is in fact the wisdom of God, taken on our flesh and standing in our midst. So we can not just hear a wise word, but see a wise life lived according to the eternal word of God. I'm just going to read to you the end of chapter 8 we're, uh, in Proverbs, one of my tags. For whoever finds me finds life, says wisdom, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Doesn't that sound like Christ? It did to the church. It always has. He who fails to find me injures himself. Which is precisely why the power of Christ's preaching provokes this unclean spirit in this man. And the spirit gets into a shouting match with Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? What have you to do with us? I wish I could tell you that all the unclean spirits were completely mopped up. But I know that spirit inside myself. I don't think I've ever been possessed. It's interesting, that's actually a a thing I wanted to lift up for you, is that our translation says that a man with an unclean spirit, but in the original language it actually says a man in an unclean spirit. Like he was immersed in it and couldn't escape. Haven't you ever had one of those things you know isn't good about yourself rise up inside of you? And it seemed like you couldn't escape it in that moment? Like it had a stranglehold on you? That moment when your anger took control despite the fact you know. Maybe this is my own struggle. So I'm leaving this out. James 1.8 Your anger will not produce the Lord's righteousness and yet there it is flaring up inside of you. Or you feel possessed by lust. Or by that addiction to you know food or drink or shopping or whatever it is that you use to assuage the anxiety of the moment. Frozen by fear when you know you should act in the face of injustice. A moment when your envy so consumes you that it seems like nothing is good in life despite all the blessings you have. We've all been in an unclean spirit. Our pride has reached up to strangle out of us all the joy in that moment. Our ill health, our ill spiritual health crushing us beneath its load. And that same spirit in us, when we hear a challenge from the Word of God, says, what are you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Yes. 
That's precisely why he's come. We are not saved by our good works, but God saves us not just from our sins so that we might live eternally, but he saves us for himself. For a life of godly virtue wherein we are healed from these things that afflict us and become a blessing to all those around us instead of, well, a trial or worse, a curse. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We're saved by grace through faith without any help on our own. But that's, a, that's kind of like God taking us out of a combat zone and putting us in a rehab hospital. I loved MASH when I was a kid. God puts us in that rehab hospital. Anybody here ever gone through rehab? Ever been bedridden for a while, lost a lot of muscle mass, or maybe had a joint replaced? How much fun is physical therapy? I had a woman in our congregation one time who was a physical therapist. She says, I love when my patients call me their physical terrorist. God includes us in the healing of our souls the same way a doctor includes us, not just by giving us the medicine that will heal us, but by giving us the prescription for the exercises that will strengthen us. It is no fun. I've, I haven't had a knee replacement yet, but I visit a lot of people who have them. And it's no fun, I'm, I know, watching them go from that first day at 20% movement to 30 to 40 to 50, but they all want to walk again at the end. And God includes us in the healing of our soul because it strengthens us in virtue. A virtue that glorifies Him, that heals us, and that serves the needs of those around us. And it's an old Chinese story that that helps me understand this best. There was a man in a small town uh, in China who hated children. Just hated them. They drove him crazy. He preferred quiet. If you're familiar with large groups of children, quiet is at a premium. He wanted to study the, 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 the ancient books and become wise and the children's noise outside of his window was always distracting him and their little fights that they would get into would drive him crazy. And God forbid he walked out the front door. They took one look at him and ran away screaming. And so he climbed the local mountain to talk to the wise man who lived up there and he said, what do I do? These children make me nuts. And the wise man looked at him and said, you wish to become wise in the ancient ways? Yes. You hate children? Yes, I've got a cure for you. He reaches in and he gives him a mask. He says, you need to wear this mask for a year and then come back. On this mask was painted a beautiful smiley face. He said, at no point are you to take this mask off. And here's the other part of your prescription. You are to go to the well in the center of town every day and read stories to the children. What? Yes. Never take the mask off. Read to the children. So the man did what he was told. And as he did it, for a couple of weeks he just grimaced and ground his teeth. But the children would come because they could no longer see his face. 
And he would read to them. And after a couple of weeks, one of the little girls took a flower she'd picked and gave it to him and said, thank you for reading to us every day. Another day, the boys got into a fight over a game they were playing and he got in the middle and said, no, 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 that wasn't fair. You need to stop and it's his turn now. And when the kids were having a good time again, one of them came over and gave him a hug. And little by little, he started to look forward to the time of reading to the children. He came to know each child by name, knew each of their family situations, knew what they struggled with, knew the particular joys and gifts that each kid had. And when the end of the year came, he went up to the top of the mountain again. And he says, I've done as you said. What now? He says, do you still hate the children? Oh, well. Well, except for Robbie. He's, he's kind of cute. And Marie's sweet. And Janet and... Not, no, I guess I don't. He said, take off the mask. And he found when he took off the mask that his face had been conformed to it. And he no longer grimaced or growled at the children, but smiled when he thought of them. Christ is the embodiment of God in our midst, the wisdom from God in our midst. And we are, as Luther said, called to become little Christs to one another. That's what we're saved for. We know what we're saved from. And in that journey, at first, Jesus, the great physician, will give us exercises that feel uncomfortable and difficult and require of us what we understand and feels like obedience. Something we resist. But that's just that unclean spirit in us that doesn't want to be blotted out and destroyed. And little by little as we obey, we move from obedience to embodiment. To the life we live in Christ is no longer the struggle it once was. But we are never struggle free. The struggle becomes easier and the joy becomes greater. All thanks be to him who gives us this great gift. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we think on the seven deadly sins and envy, wrath, lust, greed, sloth. Each of us has our own struggles. Lord, we ask that you would make us attentive to the voice of your spirit. That when we hear your word and we feel that, that unclean spirit within us react to it, help us notice and enlists the power of your spirit, for your spirit is so much greater. Help us to be about the things you call us to be about, so that we may, growing in your grace, evermore embody the love that we know sent your Son to save us from our sins, that we might be healed, that we might be a blessing to others. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be 
all else to me Save that thou art Be thou my best thought In the day and the night Waking or sleeping Thy presence my life